you would know if it was over. Hello, and welcome to Good Bad Show. My name is Andy. And I'm Matt. And this is a podcast where Matt and I discuss doing very, very tiny things over and over and over again to great effect. I thought we talked about lyrics you like, music that you like, mm, and no, this is, peeing that you like. No, this is just, do you say peeing that I like? Yeah, types of peeing that you like. I guess I kind of opened myself up to that one, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> kind of had that one coming. No, this is our podcast where we talk about, you know, little changes you can make that just uh, have a big effect in the, in, the, in the big scheme of things, you know? Maybe you, uh, you know, you, you do a small action, like you, you fold a piece of paper. Did you know, Matt, that if you fold a piece of paper like 28 times, it'll get you to the moon? Whoa. Something tells me that's a thing you can't actually do. That sounds no. like a hypothetical. I did watch a video over the weekend of a guy, you know, those hydraulic press YouTube channels? Yeah. Yeah, those are pretty good channels, and this is one guy that... Uh, use this hydraulic press to try and, you know, defeat the the popularly accepted idea that you can't fold a piece of paper seven times, which mm-hmm. I thought was going to be a pretty boring video because I thought he would just, you know, put the piece of paper under the press, fold it seven times and be done with it. But it turns out that the seventh time, like, you know, six folds was fine. The seventh time, the paper like basically explodes <laughs> really? when, you, when you press it with the hydraulic press. Yeah, it's a little tiny explosion because, you know, I guess it's like bent over itself so much. It's under a lot of like tension. And so as you're like pressing it, the tension of like the paper pulling in the strong direction, like in the direction of the fibers, eventually gives way and it kind of like pops. Actually, if I remember correctly, I think the Mythbusters did a similar thing, but their approach was to take a piece of paper like as big as uh, an airplane hanger and then fold it and fold it and fold it and then take, I think they took like a steamroller maybe or something i can't remember how it ended but they did a similar thing did they really do this pretty sure they did i guess it makes for a fun episode sometimes i hear a thing they did on mythbusters and i'm like that's not a myth that's worth busting but then i realize it's all just about making tv and you know seems kind of fun to watch them steamroll a big piece of paper also they had like 10 seasons they ran out of myths they'd be yeah. like i heard a myth that you can't blow up that truck over there and you're like what wait wait that's not a myth you can definitely <laughs> blow up and they blow up the truck <laughs> I heard a myth that you, Matt, can't eat a bunch of Mentos and then slam this two-liter Diet Coke, but you can't do it. I heard that myth about you, actually. I like the idea that the show slowly becomes like nerdy, a nerdy version of Jackass, where, yeah. you know, they're just, this week we're busting the myth that you can't ride a shopping cart down a big grassy hill covered in rocks and logs. <laughs> We're going to bust the myth that Cuts you, Adam, a, can't catch a bullet in your teeth. Wait, what? Yeah, Cut to Jamie. Cut to Jamie being dumped out of a shopping cart on some big <laughs> hill. Just go busted. Turns out you can. Uh, anyway, that's a good show. And I will watch the paper episode on YouTube. It sounds exciting to me. Anyway, um, this is a show about how you can take little steps to make big improvements in your life. Like overthrowing democracy. This is our number one. This is the number one productivity podcast on iTunes right now. Yeah, I'm sure it is. This is mm-hmm. 43 folders with Andy Mangold. Uh, for, how about 47 folders? Hey, 43 folders. What if we just come up with 44 folders? Four more folders. Just a couple more folders. Eh? Mm-hmm. Six-minute abs. What about five-minute abs, you know? You know, I heard you actually can't do seven folders. Six folders is fine, <laughs> you're trying <laughs> you to do a seventh folder. You really can't fold explodes. a folder seven times. It just blows up. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a myth that you can't bust. Matt, we've been dancing around this topic. In classic, I don't know what we're dancing around. Classic, we're dancing around classic, good, bad everything. show fashion. Sure. We've been dodging the topic, but we got to get to this one because it's going to be meaty. Oh, no. We're talking about Universal Paperclips, Matt. 
Oh, I, I, uh, I still haven't finished that game. It's really long. Uh, I think I knew you had finished it. Here's what do you the, think so I was gonna? Here's the you, thing. I made like three attempts. I'm not gonna do it a fourth time. It's okay. so long. So you have to explain to me how it is that you can begin a game like Universal Paperclips and not finish it. Because I don't understand how you could pry yourself away from your computer screen to go live the rest of your life without having sometimes, converted all of the matter in the universe to paperclips. Sometimes at 2 a.m. you have to have self-control. And I'm not, I'm not a person with self-control. You're talking to the wrong guy. I was about to guy. say, this is weird for you to be saying this because I feel like you don't have that. No, but I also do like to be productive when I wake up and not die. So sometimes you pry yourself away at 2 a.m. And uh, the other thing about universal paperclips is that there's a point in the game at which it seems like it's over, but I don't think it's over. And, and then you like, would know Ugh. if it was over. You definitely did not reach the end if you are not 100% certain you reached the end. I got to the point where it's just like starting all over again in a well, new universe. Oh, so you did get to the end then. That's the end? Well, yeah, did you start, like you had, you had the choice of do you want to, uh, what, what's the choice it gives you at the end? It gives you, well, hold on, I guess we should say, hold on. Spoilers okay. for Universal Paperclips. I mean, this was a small, I would say like nerd culture internet sensation for a couple weeks uh, sometime last year, and we're talking about it later. Uh, but if you haven't played it and you're interested in playing a compelling little in-browser click game, click game is mm-hmm. a good way to describe it, right? Yeah, it's uh, a clicker. That, that does, I would say, have some kind of like spoilers. Like I think part of the joy is the, uh, the unfurling of this universe. So, so if, if you want to experience it uh, un, un, you know, besmirched by our conversation, then go play it now. This is your spoiler warning. Fair enough. Get out of here. Okay, come back. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I gave that too late. We already spoiled it, but it doesn't matter. What is the... Uh, there's a question at the end where it asks you, do you want to like convert all the matter into paper clips or do something else? And what's the question? Do you remember? I can't remember, but I end up in a new dimension or a new universe where I'm just making paper clips all over again. Where you just have the button to click make paper, make, yep. make paper clip again. Yep. Okay. Well, you did finish it then, so I'm glad that oh, that actually I happened. told you this before, and you told me I didn't finish, so now I'm upset with you. Well, How you, dare you? you had said, like, you had said, I don't know if I'm finished yet. To me, it seems pretty obvious when you convert all the matter in the universe to paperclips and it puts you literally at the beginning that the game is over. It could be another thing, though. It could be like a trick where it's like you think it's over, but it's not over because now you're going to have to do it again in paperclip universe. But, they, but the game doesn't do tricks. It, it's, like, it's pretty transparent the whole time about what you're doing. It's very quantified. You know exactly what's happening. So, like, why would it trick you? I don't know. Did you feel tricked? Slightly, yeah. <laughs> what, what made you feel tricked? Because I got to the end and I had to start all over again. I want to yeah. have a, a thing that says, you've completed world domination. Good job. Here's your trophy. It, I does, parade, it basically Andy. says that, though, I think. I'm pretty sure it basically says that. I want a parade. Hold on one sec. I'm going to figure out. So it's just accept and reject are the two endings. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Actually, here's what you know the thing, Matt. I think this has been changed since I played it. I'm reasonably certain that like so this one there's like you can buy a thing and then you go to like a level deeper, and you're mm-hmm. in like simulation level two. I don't know for sure. I'm not sure if the if we can find the change log of Universal Paperclips, but I'm pretty sure that was not the ending I experienced when I first played the game. I, I think, think that's probably why you told. I think that's why I told you that was the ending, and you were like, "That's not the ending." And I thought, "Ah, I'm not going through this whole thing again." It's a fun experience, but I'm not going to do it two times. Well, so th- these are the things I like about it. So, first of all, Universal Paperclips, universally good game and good thing. I think it's great. Yeah, uh, it's a great game. It's great, and one of the reasons I like it is because of the thing you just said, which is that it is. I spent too much time when I was a child playing video games that were like open world 
never-ending video games uh, where you mm-hmm. could just kind of do stuff constantly and there was no clear a end. A GTA where you just drive around. Oh, man, that's the one I'm car. thinking of. Oh, yeah, I, I played, I, I played a lot so of that much too. Grand Theft Auto. played a I, lot of that. I still think, you know, I could probably draw a very accurate map of Vice City from memory <laughs> with like specific item drop locations marked. Uh, mm. I played that game so much. It's disturbing. Yeah, Famously I played that high game school. so much. Sometimes uh, when I'm driving and I'm behind a truck with a ramp, I think, I think I can, I can jump it. Pretty sure I can jump it. Well, so <laughs> I have two stories related to that. Uh, <laughs> first of all, just related to how much Grand Theft Auto I played, uh, I didn't read any books in high school that I was supposed to read. I mean, I read some books, but none of the books I was assigned until I got to senior year of high school when I had this notoriously difficult teacher who we had to read a book every single week and we were quizzed about the book throughout the way. And so I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to read, but I was too scatterbrained to like focus on a book and actually read it. So what I did is I downloaded at the, I think I downloaded this on through like, LimeWire at the time, uh, I downloaded audiobooks of all the books we were assigned um, of varying qualities. Some of them seemed kind of DIY, and I would <laughs> play the audiobooks while playing Grand Theft Auto. So I played, I played as much Grand Theft Auto my senior year of high school as it takes to read a, a literature classic every single week for the entire school year. <laughs> uh, but uh, the related to driving, when I learned how to drive because I played so many racing games growing up, uh, the one I'm thinking of most most viscerally is Gran Turismo. I think a Gran Turismo 3 was the one I played the most of. It was, it was a, more of a racing sim game, less of an arcade game, so it was more yeah, like I'm actual familiar. driving or close I to it. it. Yeah. Uh, and when I started driving like a real car for the first time at age 16, uh, I wasn't driving fast because I, I knew the speed limits. I was driving. I was also sufficiently afraid of harming people and property with this newfound power of piloting a car. <laughs> well, that's uh, good. But my dad was very uncomfortable because of how I accelerated through turns. Again, not going fast, but, you know, the time at which I would accelerate was right in the middle of a turn. And he couldn't figure out why he felt weird for a while. And at some point he asked me, he's like, I think I figured out why I feel weird about this. You're like putting your foot on the gas in the middle of the turn. And I was like, yeah, that's Skip Barber racing technique. Like you break before the turn and you accelerate through it to virtually lengthen, you know, the, the length of the straight. So you get more acceleration. Got to accelerate at the apex. Yeah. So I like that? deeply ingrained this like racing technique driving, which I mean, it sounds like I'm doing some very like braggy. I'm such a good driver thing. I, I'm sure I could not drive a car at all fast around a circuit, but the way in which I accelerated and, and when I chose to brake was very much influenced by this one driving sim that uh, just really embedded itself in my brain. If your car ever broke down, did you just get out and take someone else's car? <laughs> exactly. Get out. Throw someone <laughs> out the car. Get in their car. Drive yeah, that's away. how you. That's how you fix a broken car. I drive know that away. Rule. Well, they do like a, a 120 frame angry animation and then walk on, continuing with their life. You can't see on the podcast, but I'm shaking my fist real angry at you taking my car. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Universal Paperclips. I played too many of these games, like Grand Theft Auto, where I could just play forever. And, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a nice luxury, not to criticize the design of the game, uh, but there's something about that, like, deep world thing that uh, I, I just can't do anymore, personally. I just get too involved in it. And the last one I played was Minecraft, which I still, oh. we could do a whole episode about Minecraft. I love that game so We so haven't? I'm surprised we haven't. Have we not? I, I don't know. Nah, I don't think we have, actually. We could. We could. And maybe we will. We'll have to be, like, 20 episodes after this one, because this is a video game as well. But, uh... After Minecraft, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. But I still have sought out uh, some video games that are notorious for having like this like 
you know, limited experience, right? Like you do it once and the act of doing it, uh, you know, changes your perception such that if you were to play it a second time, you probably wouldn't like it as much or would like different things about it. Uh, and so, you know, that first time through is like the really magical time. And like the best examples I can think of of this in modern like the past 10 years are like the first time you ever played portal, the first version of portal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people, I actually didn't play this one, but I know that journey was like this. Oh, um, I loved journey. Journey was great. I could never do journey a second time. Like you said, but I loved the first time journey. Yeah. Uh, and so even though this is a very different kind of game, universal paperclips than these other kind of, you know, fully immersive console games with, you know, 3d graphics and everything. The universal paperclips, if you haven't played listener is just, a, a like web form an unstyled web form that begins with one simple button uh, that says make paperclip and a little counter that just goes up whenever you make a paperclip uh, and you basically just kind of click your way through this ever-expanding form and you know you get to a certain point where you can buy a little machine to clip paperclips for you so you don't have to do it anymore you can just spend your time managing the price and trying to like maximize profits for the number of paperclips you have and then you get to another point where you can you know start to buy uh you know things that will automatically buy the materials the wire for the paperclips for you and then you get even faster clippers and the game just you know continually scales up and i was completely engrossed by it when i first discovered it uh, when it when it came out, which I think was in October, and uh, I, I played the first couple times, uh, and then I like played other times going through trying to like weirdly min max things. I did get a couple, a little bit of value out of extra replays, but uh, part of the th- what I like about the game, unfortunately, can't really be replicated now because part of the fun was that a lot of us, when this game kind of hit and was on Twitter and Reddit and all over the kind of you know nerd parts of the internet. We started playing it more or less at the same time on the same day. And so we were like all kind of like, where does this end? And, you know, you didn't know what, what was going to happen and how deep this hole was going to go. And again, spoilers for everybody. You eventually work your way up to running a whole like business. We are mostly just like buying and selling property and making sure that you can, you know, uh, invest in enough solar panels to gather enough energy to run your fleet of drones, which is out there uh, farming the earth for its ore uh, and then you eventually get to like the universal scale where you're you're just basically programming you're you're playing the role of an ai that is programming a even bigger like field of drones that are exploring the universe and mining all the planets for their resources and the way you actually interact with the game is always just you know clicking on stuff uh but you are clicking on progressively more and more intense things uh so what i like about it is that it's a self-contained experience which uh, I don't think this is anything new. Like I gave a couple examples. I'm sure there are many others, people that are deeper in the video game world than I am, of these kind of like, you know, you play it once, uh, and that's where you get the most kind of value out of it. And it's meant to have like an ending, and it kind of just, you know, is a self-contained thing. Uh, that's what's great about it. The other thing that's amazing about it to me is that like, it is so technically simple. I mean, as far as like web pages go, it's maybe one of the more complicated ones. Uh, if you don't, you know, understand JavaScript and how it works, it might seem kind of complicated. But like compared to using like Unity or some other framework to make a, you know, a game that's like got 3D graphics and, you know, is on Steam, uh, this thing is like so beautifully simple. And uh, I find that in that simplicity, uh, there are some things that are still very powerful and like emotional experiences. Like, uh, do you remember when you first clicked the release the drones button? Uh, yeah yeah so you get to a certain point in the game where you click the release the drones and the whole page kind of like flashes and goes funky for for a few seconds and then it takes you to the next stage of the game uh and you realize immediately that you can't go back and there's other things you hadn't clicked on yet that you kind of wanted to click on to see what was going to happen but you've crossed through this gate and now you can no longer go forward uh there's also uh another point where uh the what is it the hypno hypno drones 
Well, is, is it the hip, I guess it's the hypno drones. That it's, is that when you release the? Yeah, you, re- you release the hypno drones. But at first, you there's another there's another like smaller gate you cross through where you eventually like press some button and the uh, the demand you're, you're constantly also buying advertising for your paper clips to increase the demand so you can raise the price as the mm. supply continues to increase and, it, and so you're always like kind of balancing this uh, you know you're keeping the price high enough that you're not selling out and you're basically kind of maintaining more or less a constant stock of paper clips so you have the demand and the supply are evenly matched and the price is kind of reflecting that. Yeah. And at some point, there's some kind of like super advertisement you can buy. Can't remember what it's called. Uh, that like immediately ten or a hundredfold uh, ups the demand for the paper clips. And so you've been like carefully balancing this like number. You've got like ten thousand <laughs> in the in the warehouses, and you've been like occasionally it gets a little bit out of hand, and you drop it down to nine thousand. So you like increase the price a little bit. You've been balancing this thing and been happy with your kind of like big numbers. And then you press this button, and immediately you're completely out of paper clips. Like they sell out immediately. Uh, and just like watching that number plummet in like a half second was also like strangely emotional for me. I, I say emotional, not like obviously like you know. Uh, crying emotional, just like it was impactful. I was like, "Whoa, man! Like, what happened there? Like, that was unexpected. Uh, it was like shocking and like uh, impactful." Uh, so, it's 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 me. It's an amazing example of like what can be done with very little like technical stuff uh, to make still a very um, impactful game. And it almost makes me think that uh, you know, I feel like in in any game you kind of get immersed in the universe of the game and if the universe of the game is like a skyrim or something that's got this whole you know vast detailed world then you get immersed in it but you also get just as immersed in minecraft which is vast but the whole world is made up of like enormous blocks so there isn't really detail right it's like all very low resolution and you also get very immersed in like a little browser with a bunch of text and buttons in it like i think if a game is good i don't think that you're like immersion is necessarily controlled by the amount of like detail available to you in the world which i think is something i think a lot of people kind of assume that like oh if we make a deeper more complex world there'll be more people can like sink their teeth into uh which maybe in a situation situation like this would add like replay value or whatever but i don't think that it actually increases like how engaged you are with the thing so to me it's it's an amazing game in that it uses simple mechanics uh simple tools and like blocks to make this experience that is just as comparable to any you know triple a you know big game to me uh, and it's again it's a smaller scale thing so you're not going to play it for thousands and thousands of hours and you know it's not it's not like world of warcraft but uh but the for that you know two hours or four hours that you've played you're playing it for the first time uh it is like all it's all encompassing at least for me it was really really absorbing the, the one thing you didn't mention was that it also does a very good job of demonstrating an idea uh, or like playing out a scenario. The scenario being like, what if you made an AI that all it had to do was make paper clips? That was the only goal. Uh, and it's it does a good by immersing you. It does a good job of actually showing how that would play out and being like, yeah, this is if this was your goal. Here's what you'd do: you'd destroy the entire universe in order to make more paper clips, and you'd make a lot of paper clips. Yeah, there's a lot of really subtle. Uh, I don't want to say like you know. I don't think he's like making a statement with the game, but there's definitely a lot of like, it makes you think big thoughts about when you're like running this company, you're thinking about like capitalism and like, well, my whole goal is to sell as many paperclips as possible. And yeah. eventually you're hypnotizing the population and literally, you know, sucking every, every uh, sort of piece of 
iron out of the earth in order to make as many paperclips as you possibly can. Uh, and it really does kind of like paint this kind of grim picture. Uh, and then the same goes for, like you said, kind of the AI scale where you're running this like, you know, army of drones. Uh, the other thing I think it expresses kind of very powerfully, the other thing I think is kind of the message of the game is it reminds me a lot of like the powers of 10, uh, like video series where, you know, it scales up and it scales up very dramatically, but it doesn't scale up, you know, only in the weird times where you like you buy the hypnosis to make the population's demand for paperclips go through the roof or, you know, get a bunch of army of drones to go like uh, harvest materials for you. Like it mostly scales. I mean, it, it you're literally watching it scale, right? It is quantifiable. Like you, you click, you click the first hundred or 200 make clear, make paperclip buttons yourself manually. And an hour later, you've got 65 trillion paperclips uh, and you were there for all of it, right? Like you were part of those, that decision making process and you were like yeah. a piece of it. Uh, and I think another kind of, that's another kind of powerful takeaway from it is how quickly the game accelerates from, you know, you're at 100,000 to 200,000 to 2 million to 29 septillion paperclips. And there's something in there about like, you know, the the vision that uh, singularity people have for like what ha- what's going to happen when AI does take over, you know, the big robot apocalypse where we all become one with the machines and it's either immediately heaven or immediately hell. Uh, but this whole idea of like, as technology gets better, as you scale something, anything, uh, your ability to continue to scale also increases, uh, which, you know, that's the story of the Industrial Revolution. That's the story of, like, the, the computing revolution and the Internet and the age of communication. That's the story of any of these things when you look at them. And here it's just, what if that story was told with paperclips, which, you know, it, it has more depth to it than I think, uh, you know, you might first expect when you click that first make paperclip button. And you feel it. You feel that scale, I think, uh, when, you're, when you're playing the game. The other thing that's funny, the, you brought up the, like, uh, I guess the aesthetics of the game or, like, the way it's set up. Um, which at first seems like, like the obvious is like it's the simplest, fastest way to make this game, like most efficient one person can do it. But the other part is like, even if it were an entire immersive world, like a World of Warcraft, or not like a world, like a Skyrim or something, you'd still be a person just sitting at a console clicking a button within that immersive world. So it's almost like, yeah. it's like, it's this focused thing that forces you to focus on just this one goal that, you know, if you think about it, you're like, this is really stupid. I'm a human being sitting at a computer clicking on paperclips. But that's kind of what capitalism is, right? You're just like, oh, we're going to focus you on this one goal. Don't worry about anything else. All you're looking at is a white screen with one button. You're like, yeah, exactly. Click the button, click the button, click the button. Like, if it were an immersive world, you'd just be, you'd be that same person. Well, yeah, you make make the good point that, like, the interface of the game is, like, the interface in the narrative, right? Like, Yeah, you can't get distracted. There's nothing to distract you. It's just one button. You keep clicking. Yeah, it's not like they've taken, uh, you know... In uh, in Skyrim, you've, you're supposed to have a big sword, and so there's this like analog. There's this avatar of you in the game, and you're holding this big sword, and you press buttons to like manipulate this avatar in this other universe. But in Universal Paperclips, you're just literally clicking the button that could actually, you know, in theory, there's nothing to say that button couldn't be attached to a big drone of a uh, big army of drones that are collecting all the ore out of the earth, like. It, the uh, the the eventual apocalypse will look the same. It will be an unstyled web form. And if, if you saw the, uh, I'm sure you saw the, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago was that uh, false alarm, that false missile alarm in Hawaii. Yeah. And then the pictures, the screenshots of the interface that was used to send it out uh, were widely distributed. This yeah. like horrific unstyled web form that had the most unclear language imaginable and no confirmation step if you clicked on the wrong thing that said send out a text message to all people in Hawaii that they're about to get exploded. Uh, so yeah, like in, in, in a way, like it is the most immersive because 
that is literally what it could look like. Like that—that that is what it would feel like to be sitting there watching the numbers go up, and you're in a little bubble, but outside you, all these like things are happening. Mm-hmm. It could be—it could be another statement about drone warfare, Matt. It's so yeah. easy to sit there and click the buttons, and you we know, don't have I, to I, see the drones. We just click the drone button, and then they go get our paper clips. It's pretty good for us. Well, yeah, and then at a certain point, you get to a point in the game where uh, you are in space, you're exploring the universe, and some of your drones have had bugs in their software and have gone 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 astray uh what do they call them again uh drifters drifters mm, oh yeah uh, i remember that yeah so in the game uh drifters are probes uh that you have lost to this idea of value drift uh which has a actual like meaning in computer programming and ai as i understand it uh but basically some of your drones and probes have turned back against you and so you begin to have to fight this like intergalactic war uh with your own like (laughs) ex-drones and you know you 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 basically like you set up the programming for like how many of my how much my resources am i going to devote to combat and how am i going to distribute my sort of combative uh priorities to like decide how to engage and when to engage and how aggressive to be and all that kind of stuff uh, but you don't actually fight any battles, right? You watch these little dots on the screen and these numbers go up and it says, oh yeah, 500,000 drones lost or 200,000 drones lost. And I don't know, that that to me is also an interesting kind of, uh, again, not statement, because I don't think the goal of this is like some kind of political statement, but it's it's a mirror, it's a, it's a reflection of the state of what real war is getting more and more like, you know? You got drone pilots sitting in, you know, bunkers in places that are just doing stuff that's happening elsewhere in the world. And uh, I don't know, it's the same thing. So what do we say? Is this a universally good game? It is. It is. But one last thing that I want to point out is that uh, the game also has, I think, one of the most interesting attitudes towards, like, discovery in it, uh, in that it doesn't explain anything, right? I mean, the game is, by definition, like, self-explanatory. You just go and click on the buttons as they pop up. But there are some, some things that really, are like, take a lot of, like kind of experimenting and learning to figure out how they work. Uh, so, like, the quantum computing is the best example of this, I think. And you could probably complete the whole game without uh, investing at all in quantum computing and just ignoring that mechanic. Uh, but if you That's do invest true. in it, it allows you to rapidly accelerate uh, your operations when you're building your AI. It's all very complicated if you haven't played it. But the way this quantum computing thing works is you, like, say you want to study quantum computing, and then you invest in cores of quantum computing, and you basically have this little part of the interface, which is just a bunch of rectangles that are getting progressively lighter and darker on... Uh, some kind of pattern, but a pattern that's hard to discern uh, from first looking at it. Uh, and then there is a button you can click adjacent to this interface that uh, will basically either increase or decrease you know, the current number of ops you've generated based on the darkness of these rectangles. And uh, it ends up being this weird game where, like, you know, these patterns will align and the whole, like, row of rectangles will turn dark and you really rapidly click and kind of gather those things. But the first couple times that you... You have one core, first of all, and so you don't. there's no sense of a pattern when you have the first quantum computing core, and you're just clicking on this button, and seemingly random numbers are popping out, and you have to like figure out what the heck is going on and how you're going to use this thing, uh, which is how so many parts of the game work, right? You don't really know what something's going to do. You have to click on it in order to find out. You have to take that leap, and then nothing is like explained. There's no instructions. You just like automatically figure it out. Uh, so all these things, to me, like add up to just a great game. Like It is so... Simple. It is self-contained. Uh, there are no instructions. There's no tutorial. The game scales up as your understanding of it scales up. Uh, and for me, it did so in a way that I was never at a point where I was like actually bored. Uh, I know some people have the sort of response of getting to a point where it's like, well, I can't do anything. I'm just waiting for my auto clippers to make enough paper clips so this other thing can happen. Uh, but I think you know, depending on how you play, it scales up in a really nice way that you're always 
thinking about the next thing and engaged in something new and you're never waiting for too long for something to happen. Uh, and, and yeah, it's all done inside of a web browser, uh, in a way that is like a direct, you know, a direct version of what this interface could look like in real life. There's no, there's no avatar, there's no facade, uh, there's no, uh, mapping of like unlike controls to a different universe. You're just actually in it and you are clicking the buttons and you are having an effect on the thing, which I don't know. It's uh, to me, it's a, it's a really amazing accomplishment. I think it's great. Uh, I'm honestly, the thing I like about it the least is that it's just on a website. Uh, and so it might just go away someday and I don't know how that's going to be saved. But, uh, but yeah, if you haven't played it, I think you should check it out. It's a universally great game. To be fair, if it's just on a website, uh, the internet is a pretty universal platform that sticks around. Whereas if it's on a PS2 and then a three and then a four or an old cartridge or an old CD, like doesn't that have more staying power than every other thing that we play with? Uh, I guess maybe. Yeah. I think it's safer. I think we're going to be fine. Archive.org. We're good. I guess you can just save a website. <laughs>